0: You could pick anything in HR in in terms of, you know, how HR has been operated and and challenge most of them. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally
1: distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not.
0: The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual.
1: The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTel. Today's guest, Anthony Anesto, began his career with a stumble. He started as an accountant for a company that told him he wasn't any good at his job. So instead of giving up, he found a role recruiting for accountants, which eventually led him to the world of HR. Anthony is now the chief people officer at the consumer research startup, Suzy. Anthony first hit his stride during the dot-com boom of the early 2000s. Building and scaling people teams at startups and eventually taking HR leadership roles, At Fresh Direct, Zeta Interactive, Big Fuel Communications, and Sapient Razorfish before joining Susie in 2018. He's been an advisor to more than a dozen startup organizations like Benny, namely, Journify, and he even founded his own startup in the HR space. But in case you thought that wasn't enough, Anthony is also a published author. He recently wrote a book on a very hot topic in the HR world, The New Employee Contract how to find, keep, and elevate Gen Z talent. He also offers insights to other HR leaders through his podcast and the L&D platform electives. In addition, he's the co-creator of Ella Engineer, a cartoon and comic book series that encourage girls to study STEM subjects. I'm so excited to hear more about Anthony's many, many projects. Welcome, Anthony.
0: Thank you very much, so good to be here.
1: So you've been with Susie for almost five years. Um, I know the company has huge clients like Microsoft, PepsiCo, and Google, but for listeners who are not familiar, could you explain what Susie does?
0: We're in the market research space. So very similar to companies like Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey, which folks may already know since we're a new brand, only five years old. The difference is that we actually control the entire market research experience. So the market research space, you have your tech providers like Qualtrics and SurveyMonkey. You have your panel companies. These are actually the people that are answering the question. So if you've ever filled out a survey, you're, you're part of a panel. And then there are the service providers. So these are the folks. These are the market research uh, human beings that are actually um, putting together reports and analysis and things of that nature. And what we've done is brought both sides of the market research uh, industry at a macro level together. So you have supply and demand, you have the customers like Microsoft that are asking questions, and then you have the folks uh, answering the questions. Well, we've brought both of those sides together and we own both sides of that experience. And of course, we have wonderful people in the middle powering all the analysis, the presentations, the human capital piece of it. So we've taken a fragmented market and actually put it together. And it's been an incredible ride. And, and we're just we're just getting started.
1: Is there a Susie? Is it named for somebody named Susie or <laughs> just curious?
0: Well, the origin, there are two stories, and we say this during onboarding. Uh, there are two correct answers here. So our our founder and CEO Matt Bre, is a big fish fan, and there's a song Susie Greenberg. The other one is we wanted it to feel very much like Alexa in Syria at the time. And in fact, our original domain name was AskSusie.com. So you're asking Susie. And it was so differentiated in the marketplace from a branding perspective. There was nothing like this. Most of the folks in market research are either like quant something or qual something. And here we are, Susie. So it's actually a really, it's, it's on purpose. It's a branding uh, in, in the marketplace that's worked really well for us.
1: So we said that you were there for five years. That's a long time to some people in this day and age of staying in a job. So what, what attracted you to Suzy and what keeps you there?
0: Well, it's it's funny because I had jumped out of HR um, when, when I was approached about Suzy. I was actually um, doing U.S. operations for a, a global design and innovation firm out of Canada. I was still doing some HR stuff, but really on the business side. And I got a call. So I used to work for a company called Big Fuel. And it was founded, and CEO was uh, Avi Savar. And I got a call from Avi, and he said, "Hey, do you remember Matt Britton from our old days at Big Fuel?" And he said he's looking for a head of HR. do not you come and come for lunch? Um, and I said, "All right, t- let me let me let me take the opportunity there." And I met Matt, and I was Matt is fantastic. Matt is a great CEO. We were very aligned in terms of how we thought about building a business. It was a really great opportunity for me to jump back into HR, but within uh, enterprise SaaS company. Uh, and if you know the New York tech scene, it's very rare to have a a scalable enterprise SaaS platform come out of the East Coast. Uh, and so I thought it'd be a great story after a couple of years, if we eventually IPO'd or just scaled really well, I thought it'd be a great story. So for me, it was a combination of my relationship with Avi and, and knowing and trusting him, my relationship with Matt and his vision not only the company, but really the culture, um, the the opportunity, of course, to be with a company that I think could be, you know, career changing. There's always one or two companies that can can do that for you. Uh, and last but not least, it was also, you know, the 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 insight or at least the foreshadowing of Matt hiring someone at my level so early on in the pivot of Susie, because Susie originally was a company called CrowdTap to invest that heavily so early gave me a really great indication on how he valued people and culture.
1: Well, speaking of culture, I know that you all have a framework based on Radical Candor, uh, a book that I know very well by Kim Scott, which highlights the importance of caring personally and challenging directly. So how is that that you all, you know, I guess incorporate the Radical Candor book in the philosophy into your culture at Susie?
0: It's interesting because when I started with Susie in 2018, I literally had like an HR whiteboard. It was we we had pivoted from CrowdTap, and so I had this beautiful blank whiteboard of of how I wanted to build the culture of the organization. And I knew that I had to do a bunch of different things to, to really embed the the, uh, the right culture. And I had been with a company in the past uh, that was just so very nice and friendly. But I often felt in a lot of meetings, uh, people were too friendly, right? So you would, you would say, um, you know, the sky is, you know, red and no one would challenge you, even though when you look out the window, it was fairly blue. No one ever wanted to debate. Right. It was just too kind. It was it was a it was a polite culture, if you will. And so I read I said, I don't want to do that again because I thought that was highly unproductive and not a great culture because then you have all this side chatting triangulation that happens and it's just not productive Uh, and I said I want to I don't want to replicate that again it was fortuitous I, I read Kim Scott's book Radical Candor and I'm like this is it like what I loved about it was she's a practitioner she's a leader she'd worked for some really reputable you know Google Apple she wasn't as much as I love academics I love the practical nature of it I love that it was very simple and so for me it was so easy to 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 really make this a part of our culture. And, and I love the premise of it. It was care personally, challenged directly. It didn't feel cultish. This just felt one really practical, two things that that actually made sense and easy to implement. You know, it became a common language. People probably are tired of, of hearing me say care personally, challenge directly. And we've kind of moved to compassionate candor versus radical. But still the same premise, but I knew that it was in our cultural zeitgeist when I was in a meeting with the CEO and he said, can I be radically candid with you? And I said, hold on, stop, stop the meeting. It's now ingrained in our culture. You're now saying it. So it it also gives us a common language. So it, it kind of qualifies if you're giving feedback to someone. I've been talking about it during onboarding since 2018. So every onboarding class, they had, there's a section about radical candor. We had coaching sessions for both employees and leaders. And then the really cool thing, I'm going to geek out for a minute here. She agreed to do a Q&A and she did, a, while we were virtual, she did a virtual uh, Zoom Q&A with us. And I really, really geeked out about that. So, uh, yeah.
1: I love that. Yeah. When I joined TopTel in 2018, one of the things that attracted me was that their cultural attributes were direct, revealing, challenging, especially since we're a fully remote company, you can't you know, we don't see what goes on down the hall or within an office with the door shut because everybody's at home. And so I think, you know, you have to purposely know that we trust your coworkers, but we're going to call you out and ask the hard questions and say, "Mm, I don't really agree with you. To me, that's exactly, it fits my personality. So it's the culture that I strive in here um, and really appreciate. So
0: I love that the caring part is easy, right? And we saw that in, in the company that I was referring to before them, but the challenging part is really tough for some folks. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of it.
1: Well, in addition to radical candor, you've talked and written about opposing or contrarian ideas and the importance of staying open to them as a leader. So what are some of these oppositional concepts that you found useful in your career?
0: Yeah, I, uh, all of them. <laughs> Everything, I want to say 10, probably maybe, I was at Fresh Direct, so maybe 15 plus years ago, we were, we were calling BS on performance reviews, right? Like the, that is probably the easiest and most low-hanging fruit in terms of how we perf- we do performance reviews. And it's so ironic because we're still, I still see pockets, if not large pockets, a companies still doing it in the same way. The yearly review actually lowers Productivity. I forget her name. She was the CPO of of Adobe. Said, "Let's just stop doing it. Like, if we stop doing it, and if you think about the equation, if you do it, it lowers productivity. So if you don't do it, it doesn't impact productivity. So don't, just, just don't do it." So for me, that's the low hanging fruit. But I mean, you could pick anything in HR in in terms of you know how HR has been operated and, and challenge most of them.
1: I'm a big fan of real time feedback because one of the things I've always said is you forget. Annual reviews, you forget what someone did 10 months ago and nine months ago, and it's like, just give it to them real time. If you're in that environment where there's challenging and revealing and direct feedback, you don't need to wait annually to review somebody on that stuff. So I think one of the fun things that you've done, I think more than once now, um, is you have written a book or two, but the one I want to talk about first is your work on Ella the Engineer which is a comic book of a female heroine to inspire girls to pursue education in STEM. I would just love to know how that came about. And I mean, clearly this is your fun side and, and creative side that's coming out.
0: It's actually one of the most challenging and fun and creative things that I've ever done in my career. Uh, years ago, I actually ran a report. I was part of a company that was acquired by this larger company, and I was integrated into the, the, one of the existing companies as an HR lead for the engineering and data sciences team. And so what I want to do, like all good HR folks is I wanted to understand demographics. Like what did, what did this global organization look like uh, in tech and engineering? I asked uh, our, our trusted HR team for a report. They sent it to me in Excel and I started doing some pivot tables. I'm like, ah, let me see where are people located who are, you know, what levels, what compensation, all that good stuff. And then I did gen. And I looked at it and I go, oh, I must have missed a whole bunch of rows. I ran it about three or four times because I found in a, and we were about a thousand plus employees globally in our tech and data sciences team. We had about five women, five, not 5%, not, it was five women. And it continued to itch on my brain as what can I do here? That is both short-term and long-term focus. So how do I bring more women into the organization who are techies, data scientists, But also, how do I impact the the community itself? It's like, how about a cartoon? Maybe if I can garner some interest or raise the interests of tech and engineering with kids, maybe that's a long-term play here. But also, at the same time, if I'm at a conference and I see and I'm talking to a woman in tech or data science and I give them something that's encouraging kids, wouldn't that give me some really good brand equity with that individual. And so uh, my youngest is Ella. So it's Ella, the engineer. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm going to create a character and she's going to be a techie. And she has an arch nemesis called Glitch. Because anytime something goes wrong with our technology, it's what? it's glitching. So glitch is uh, sort of an AI or some sort of, you know, digital demon, if you will, that's just messing up things in her life. And she gets called to fix it. And I wrote down a couple of stories, storylines. Uh, and I went to the CTO of the company that I worked for. And I said, I have an idea. It's going to be really off the beaten path. You want to talk about contrarian, think about, I, I have an idea for recruiting. We're going to do a, to do a comic book and it's going to be about this girl coder and we're going to hand this out to to people in in recruiting fairs and events and it's going to be so different than the swag or the t-shirt that someone else gives or the stress ball all of which are you know super important but doesn't really build too much brand equity or invest into these communities and i was literally five sentences in and he goes let's do it been a ride deloitte is now sponsoring five editions of the comic book our latest the big hack just came out we're actually working on the graphic novel for deloitte bringing them all together we're working now with their global team to translate it into dutch and french so um, ella is going worldwide if you will and uh, we're now working on an animated series where ella is moving to mars so more to come hopefully
1: yeah Well, this is a good good segue to my next question because, you know, top tell the same thing. We have a lot of talented folks here. We have people who are on The Voice in South America and we have singers and writers and people that do very interesting things. And surveys have shown that employees um, have side hustles, right? And they are creative and entrepreneurial. And, you know, what's your philosophy or Susie's philosophy uh, to support folks doing something outside of their daily job.
0: Absolutely. We, we think it's critical. You know, everyone has a professional and personal portfolio, if you will, of things that they love to do. So even when we onboard folks, we say, you know, think about your goals as an individual, but don't just make them professional goals. What are your personal goals? Like, do you, do you want to become an artist or do you want to rock climb? Whatever these things are, we know that people come, to our organization, not just as their professional selves, but their personal selves. So we love it. And, and our CEO, Matt, he talks about side hustles and how important it is uh, to him. And so we absolutely love side hustles. Now, within the parameters of if your side hustle has to do with our business, hmm. You know let's let's talk through it it's in the employee manual it's let's, let's make sure we have a conversation about that but you know everyone from Matt to anyone in the organization we we, we encourage them and in fact just timely we're starting a slack channel called Susie side gigs because um, we want people to start profiling and getting help from other folks you know I I have one of my advisors on the Ella project is a former Susie employee who has a PhD uh in in child psychology, right? So incredible and I n- would have never have known that until I, you know, talked about my Ella project in a meeting one time and she's like, "I'm so interested in that." And now she's an advisor. So we absolutely embrace it and in fact encourage it here.
1: Okay. And then your your next side hustle or your next I would say grown-up book, not comic book, um that you published this year was The New Employee Contract, How to Find, Keep, and Elevate Gen Z Talent. So what inspired you to
0: write that? I wanted to write this because my my dad worked for one company his entire life. Forty years later, they asked him to reapply for his own job, and they and he didn't get it. So his own job he had to reapply for. And so they forced him into retirement and it was a big, pretty big impact on our family. And this is years ago, but it's been resonated with me and kind of why I went into human resources. I can control that narrative a bit. Um, but what I thought about was uh, what happened with the unwritten contract? You know, we at one point in the in in the business world, it was if you give me your hands, heart and and mind, I'm, you know, I'm going to reciprocate with a paycheck, with career goals, with commitment, And then the 70s started coming in, and we became very short-term focused. Uh, And that's when we started laying people off and having them reapply for their jobs, all for short-term gains. And I don't blame anyone. I don't blame the CEOs, the boards, the investors. It's the system, right? This is what these folks are being measured on. Um, so I think at a macro level we need to change and that's the, the message behind the employee, uh, contract. Um, but I didn't want to just sort of throw that out there and, and not be helpful and instructive. So I took the same lens and said, okay, what does that contract look like for the next generation? So when millennials came into the workforce. We were kind of surprised. Oh my goodness. These people want something different. I'm an Xer, right? So we, we, my entire business philosophy and, and career uh, expectations were built on uh, Michael J. Fox going from the mail room to the CEO suite in, in, in an hour and a half. So I always felt like if I just, you know, did the right things and hustled, I'd, I'd get the right stuff. Um, Millennials are different. They were different than Nexers and Gen Z is different than Millennials and Nexers and Boomers. And I wanted this to be an instructional uh, type of book to prepare folks to say, hey, this generation is different. They went through different things. They're gonna want different things. Instead of us trying to attack these new ideas as a virus, why don't we learn more about this generation and be better prepared for them when they come in? And you see it already in articles. I I actually have a Google alert for Gen Z. So I get all the articles all the time and you, you see the status quo attacking the ideas of these folks. And I will tell you this generation, they're not. They don't compromise. Like maybe we have uh, compromised a bit in some of the things that we really wanted. Um, so it'll be really inspirational. I'm really. Um, I'm excited about this generation. I think they're going to. They're going to change the future of work for the better. Uh, Mark Cuban talked about them being the best generation ever. I time will tell. Who knows? I. I'm more biased to Generation X, but that's that's me.
1: <laughs> so I know that you've been an advocate for new and emerging media. You talk a lot about technology. So what are some of the ways in which, you know, you guys have seen technology can give time back to employees?
0: Yeah, I mean, just completely remote, the amount of time spent commuting. Um, So we've been giving folks time back there um, by being completely remote. And that allows us, you know, Zoom is a great example where you're able to connect with folks anywhere. Um, It's, you know, Gmail, it's Slack, these tools that are pretty common in workforces now, but really, it's like thinking through those different technologies and how they enhance the employee experience and and how they enhance the employee's productivity, uh, you know, for themselves. Like as much as we can democratize these things and give employees data on themselves, how are you doing? How many meetings are you in? Uh, we shared a report recently about how many Zooms we were in and how much time. And I'm, I'm now on a kick of like, do we re- revamp meetings? Um you know, companies spend $37 billion a year on meetings. So there might be some efficiencies there. So, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thought process, like making sure we're putting technologies that actually save people time, sometimes difficult in HR, but in other places, thinking through uh, that and making sure it enhances the employee experience.
1: You know, I know that benefits matter a lot these days in recruitment and retention, you know, a lot of the candidates are not just looking at their traditional medical dental vision. They want to know what else are you going to offer me and how much are you going to cover? We try to offer a very competitive 100% pay for, you know, employees, whatever it is. But at Suzy I know you guys offer free healthcare, which is pretty exceptional um, and expensive. How did you all make that decision to, you know, go big in that area on that investment?
0: We have two levels of the plan, um, so we have what you would call a silver and gold, um, and so we do cover one hundred percent of single employees on our silver plan um, and it it's two things right so the research, like you said, shows that people are deciding on companies for a multitude of reasons: culture, growth opportunities, and w- you know why not pull the lever of the three most important things i think oftentimes you know especially in in hr and in companies um we're still in a war for talent we still have two or three open jobs for every you know breathing person out there um so it's still even given some macroeconomic challenges still a very much a talent market why not be able to say easily we offer free, right? Like that free is really a great way to to advertise. Um, so, you know, it's it's much sexier than we pay 90% or we pay 80%, you pay 20%. And if you think about 20% of being able to say free, if you times that by scale, it's really not a lot of money to invest in. Arguably, the number one or you know top three trigger on why someone decides on moving into a company. Now, I will say what we're doing that I think is interesting at Susie is we're taking our own tool and doing some segmentation analysis, and what we're trying to identify is what are those levers based on segmentation. So we survey consumers and understand what are the different level levers that intrigue individuals to either come to a company or stay at a company what are the different drivers all these sort of things to basically say all right this person is more interested in benefits than they are in training so we're going to make sure that they get the right benefit experience whereas persona B is an employee that is more interested in training and growth well for that employee we're going to make sure you get messaging on our training and development opportunities and we- we're at the very nascent stages of doing this type of work, but I'm really excited about it because it's, I think it's going to be a game changer in HR. So
1: we do a pulse survey every other month that kind of is, you know, the normal, how happy are you? How often, you know, how likely are you to recommend, like just a gut check. So, you know, you talk about your surveys and, and your research and all the stuff, the type of company that you are, but what, what is your survey cover and like, what, what data are you looking for to get out of it?
0: we use a solution called PECON, which is now Workday Employee Voice. And what PECON does is it measures four pillars, very high level pillars in a zero to 10 scale, very similar to your NPS. And it does both engagement and NPS scores based on that. Um, and we look at engagement, so that's a high level pillar. We look at diversity and inclusion. We look at health and well-being and transformation and change. So we do it across all four of those. Uh, and then with each one, there are drivers. So we could double click on those. And within the drivers, there are sub drivers. So we can get super detailed on all of these things that impact engagement, all of these things that impact our diversity and inclusion scores. So I, and we're doing this on, you know, every two weeks. So we're getting real-time data. That's kind of how we look at it. It's democratized to every leader, every manager. So they see their scores and it did require some training because getting, real-time feedback could be difficult for some folks.
1: I have a couple more questions for you, but I would love to hear about what Susie does um, about giving back to the community. So I think there's um, some charitable Susie Cares initiatives that I would love to hear more about.
0: We won a Trust Radius Award. I love awards. It always It's always fun to see those things and get recognition because you're always in the day to day and you're in the weeds. Right. Um, but the greatest reward is, you know, just seeing the impact that we have on the community, on this, you know, stakeholders, our employees. Um, so we we actually partnered with a company called Percent Pledge. One of the things we loved about them is they sent out a survey, a giving survey and said, what do you want to support? to our employees and we got so much information we have, you know, it was, uh, some social justice. It was, uh, it was, um, hunger. It was, uh, homelessness for, for kids. Like, like we get, we got this, all this really awesome detailed information. And then what we said is, okay, it's going to be like your 401k, although it's, you know, we would love it to be pre-tax, but it's not post-tax, but set up a payment. We'll do it out of payroll, or you can do your debit card. And so we do a lot of corporate social giving through that. If there's events in the world and it's unfortunate that we have to do it, but there are events in the world, like the Ukrainian war, where we match uh, certain things, you know, it all started with percent pledge with uh, tech So New York Tech Cares was an initiative that we put together in uh, the summer of 2020 when we learned, we read in an article that there were kids in New York that didn't have laptops. So everyone went Zoom home learning and these kids didn't have internet. They didn't have phones. They didn't have laptops. And we're like, we can't sit around and not do something about that. Um, And we said, there's probably, and we've all been in startups where you open that one door and there's all piles of machines and like just, you know, and and they could be fine. So we went out to some of the tech companies in New York and said, Hey, would you be interested? And they were all, the biggest challenge we had was a logistics challenge because none of them can get into their offices because they were all remote. They weren't really allowing folks in. So they didn't know the inventory. So it was a little bit of a logistical challenge for us, but it was really a fun initiative. Now we're, we're kind of past that and, and most kids are back in school now, uh, but we're, you know, we're refocusing, continuing to New York CARES and, and the work with uh, Percent Pledge, which has been really exciting.
1: So wrap up conversation question, what has been your proudest moment as a leader?
0: That's a really great question. I, I've had so many. Um I could say more categorically speaking, seeing the success of people that work with me or have worked with me, seeing former colleagues go from HR journalists to CPOs or, or VPs of people when people succeed, that have worked for me, that you know are in management positions, even in other companies, um, that really is, is the most rewarding part of, of being a leader.
1: Well, Anthony Onesto, Chief People Officer at Suzy thank you so much for your time and insight today. It was a real pleasure.
0: Same here, Michelle. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on Staffing.com and TopTel.com slash Insights. Hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.